Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5, if you will. 1 Peter chapter 5. Good to see so many smiling faces. Kinda, right? Jeremy and I were talking about before the service about um, everybody's wearing masks, you don't recognize anybody. It's really awkward when you're at the store now and people, for me, probably not for you, but for me, walk up, somebody walks up and says, hey, John, how are you? And I just look at him and I'm thinking, who are you? I have no idea who you are. But, but uh, yeah, <laughs> I hope everyone is having a good week and getting ready to start a new week, another great week of living and living for Jesus. It's exciting. Uh, our week was great, uh, busy, busy week. Um, and uh, both the boys started uh, distance learning at home, and it went great. God was, God was amazing. Uh, Aaron was able to spend the last couple weeks really getting our house together and getting their, their space, as everybody says nowadays, um, together. And, uh, and they jumped right in it, and they were champs, man. They did phenomenal. Played a baseball game yesterday, and they won 5 nothing. 15 strikeout, one hit shutout. Good game. So it's been a good week, man. Turn with me, as I said, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. We're in a series called Learning from Roadkill. And uh, our text for the series is 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, which says, Be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. When I look at this verse now and I kind of think about uh, the Roadkill series that we're in talking about animals... Uh, I also did a series years back on uh, safari and did a bunch of uh, safari animals, the, the number, the, the top 10 hunted animals. And a lot, when I did some research for those, I found that uh, lions and, and predators, they go and they pick off the stragglers or the ones that don't stay with the group, right? When they go, when, when lions go after antelope, they don't usually charge the the pack, they usually try to separate the weak ones and find the stragglers and go after them. And that's what I think about when I read this verse. That Satan doesn't usually attack a pack all at once. He picks off the stragglers. He picks off the weak ones. And I've got to be honest with you, right now I'm seeing a lot of stragglers and weak ones of the faith being picked off. And that's what we're in this series about. This is not just uh, to humor people. This is not just to um, have a clever way of presenting the word through dead animals on the road. This series is about us learning about ourselves and taking an example from uh, animals that really don't know any better. They're, they're animals. They haven't been given the same gifts that God gave humanity. And trying to learn from them how to deal with the struggles of life. Because make no mistake, I don't have to tell you anything, right? Life is a struggle. Life is a grind. Life is difficult. And this year has been so brutal, we're seeing Christians just kind of turn away. And not necessarily turn away right off the bat, but get tired and worn out and scared and frustrated and become stragglers. And then Satan pounces 
and discouragement comes in and bitterness comes in and anger comes in and apathy comes in. And then we lose another warrior from the fight. So as we come into this, remember what our purpose of this series is. And remember what we're talking about and, and the text that we have. Don't, don't just take that verse for granted. Satan is after you. He's after you. He wants to destroy you. If he has to use uh, a car on the road of life, so to speak, to run you over, that's exactly what he'll do. But he's after you. He's after each and every one of us. Because the weaker he makes you, the weaker he makes the church, the weaker he makes the kingdom of God, the workers in the kingdom of God, and the less impact we have on the world. Now, we're up to our fourth animal on our list of roadkill. We've already talked about the snake, talked about the skunk, and last week we talked about the turtle. I still feel guilty about preaching about dead turtles because they're just such nice animals, you know? Um, and today we're going to be looking at animal number four, the armadillo. Has anybody ever seen, how many of you have seen an armadillo live? Yes. I was in, when I lived in Missouri, uh, armadillos had migrated up to Missouri and I saw them dead on the road all over the place. It was just crazy. In fact, seeing them in Missouri is the inspiration for putting them on the list. While well, armadillos are re relatively new residents in America, they migrated to Texas in the 1880s, then uh, steadily moved forward. They do make the list of common roadkill. The ar armadillo provides the answer to the old question, why did the chicken cross the road? To show the armadillo that it could be done. Hey, some chuckles. In Texas, New Mexico, Missouri, and Tennessee, the armadillo is the number one animal on the list of roadkill. Now, as is our custom, I want to give you some facts about armadillos to start this off. There are 20 different species of armadillo, all of which live solely in Latin America, Central America and South America, with the exception of the nine-banded armadillo, which is the species that we have in America. Expanding northward, the nine-banded armadillo is now a common sight as far north as Montana and Pennsylvania. Armadillo is a Spanish word translating to little armored one. And it was named by Spanish explorers to Latin America. Armadillos are covered in bony plates that create their armor. They really do look like an armored uh, warrior going into battle. The plates cover their back, legs, head, and tail. If you go online and you look up pictures of the different species of armadillo, it is amazing. I mean, some of them look like they've got uh, just a plate of armor across their top. It looks like they put it on in the morning. It looks like it couldn't be natural, but it actually is a natural part of their body. Many think of armadillos rolling themselves into a ball for protection, but in fact, there's only one species, the three-banded armadillo, which can encase itself in its shell, curl up its head and its feet inward, forming a hard ball. And if you look online and see a picture of it, it really is a ball. They're, they're completely encased. Animals cannot get into it. Dogs can't, foxes can't, they can't get into that. Armadillos hate the cold. 
In times of unusually cold weather, an entire population can be wiped out. They have a low body temperature between 91 and 97 degrees. An armadillo diet is comprised of beetles, insects, ants, termites, plants, and some fruit. Some protein and... They have very poor eyesight and hearing. They rely on their strong sense of smell to hunt. They can smell things which are up to eight inches underground. Armadillos have between one to 15 babies at a time. The nine-banded armadillo, this is very interesting, the nine-banded armadillo always gives birth to four identical quadruplets every time, identical. Armadillos have very strong legs and huge front claws, which aid them in digging. Armadillos, armadillos can swim well, but due to their heavy shell, they have to swallow air to inflate their stomach to give them buoyancy. They can also hold their breath for up to six minutes. So sometimes an armadillo, when it comes to a lake or a river or a stream, they'll hold their breath and they'll walk along the bottom of the body of water just to get to the other side. The hard plates of armadillos can actually puncture and or do tremendous, can puncture tires and or do tremendous damage to your vehicle. Armadillos are a food source in much of South and Central America. It's said to taste like fine-grained, high-quality pork. I'm telling you, Drew, armadillo on the menu of highbrow. Maybe not. He just, I said that to Drew, he just said, those of you who are watching on Facebook, you didn't see him, he just looked at me and kind of like, just shut up and move on. Okay. Armadillos can carry leprosy. They are, uh, they are an animal that can carry leprosy. But it is only transferred to humans if we eat uncooked armadillo meat. During the Great Depression, because of the lack of food, armadillos were called Hoover hogs because the president, President Hoover, couldn't provide enough food for the country. Armadillos, this was crazy too. Armadillos can run up to 30 miles per hour. It's a fast little animal. Armadillos are particularly, they're particularly vulnerable because they're not alert. They're like a, I won't say that. They're like a, like a kid after school. How's that? Like a kid after school. They're not alert. No, no. Armadillos are nocturnal animals. They sleep 18 hours a day and are active at night. Armadillos also eat roadkill when given the opportunity. And armadillos can jump in the air about three or four feet straight up. So they can run 30 miles an hour and they jump straight up in the air and they can jump up three to four feet. They're, they all, Lewis, I'm telling you, they almost have my, my vertical leap. <laughs> yeah, when I, I'm, I'm coaching Gabriel Michael's baseball team, and when a kid throws the ball back to me, it's, it's a nine and under team, and when a kid throws the ball back and it's high, I have to pray to God that my toes get high enough up, because I, especially if I try to jump off my right leg, because I can't feel anything and there's nothing, to, it won't do anything, so I'm like, yes, 
I feel good about myself if I catch the ball that's way up there. Anyway, now these last three facts about armadillos can contribute greatly to the amount of armadillos that wind up as roadkill. Many times an armadillo will wander on a road at night and come across a, another animal that's been killed on the road, and either an animal or an insect. A lot of times they will scavenge the road to find the insects that you hit at night that, that fall onto the road. And they'll, they're related to the anteater. So they have a long snout and they, they um, eat insects that way. Now, they'll stop and they'll be eating on the road. And because they are nocturnal and that's at night, they're not easily visible. And because they're not alert, they're not paying attention. So when a moving vehicle comes along, the armadillo is so engrossed in its meal that it's startled by the vehicle. And it literally jumps up in the air and is hit by the car. So armadillos, nine times out of 10, are not run over by the car. They're hit by the car. They're hit by the car's bumper or the truck. If the armadillo would simply stay planted on the ground, it would more times than not simply be passed over by the vehicle. They're so low to the ground that if they would just stay on the ground and not jump, they'd be passed over by the vehicle. Because of these fatal flaws in this particular roadkill animal this morning, I want to talk about the anxious armadillo. I want to give you a couple of definitions. Anxious means full of mental distress or uneasiness because of fear of danger or misfortune. Greatly worried. And anxiety, which is the physical manifestation of being anxious, means the mind and body's reaction to stressful, dangerous, or unfamiliar situations. It's the sense of uneasiness, distress, or dread you feel before a significant event. It can, it can be completely debilitating. What makes the anxious armadillo such an interesting animal and sad addition to the roadkill list, in my opinion, is the fact that the armadillo chooses its fate. The armadillo absolutely, after, after studying it and, and thinking about it, praying about it, seriously, as a, I, I, I don't just make this stuff up, I, I pray about it. And, and, and read some scripture on, on what I see in there, that's the conclusion I came to. The armadillo chooses its fate. It has the speed, it has the ability, and it has the natural instincts to completely be able to avoid the road. Yet it chooses not, yet it chooses not to cross the road but to stop in the middle of it and eat. At 30 miles per hour, think about it. At 30 miles per hour, an armadillo should be able to run across that short expanse of road without a problem. It should be able to dart in front of a car and get away with it. But it doesn't. It could literally lay down flat in front of a vehicle and get passed over. But it doesn't. No, the anxious armadillo doesn't choose to put itself the doesn't choose to put itself in harm's way. It doubles down by not paying attention to its surroundings. 
and jumping in fright at the sight of an oncoming vehicle. The anxious armadillo chooses to ignore its abilities to succeed and instead has its life come to an untimely end because of anxiety. I think a lot of Christians are like the anxious armadillo. Even though Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, 27 that, wor that worry is useless. You hear that? Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, 27 that worry is useless. He says, can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? It's useless. It's a useless act of a human being, especially a follower of Jesus. There's nothing you can do about the natural course of events that God has planned out for you. So why worry? But we do. Anxiety and worry is a problem that plagues just about every Jesus follower at some point in their life. I love the people who are like, uh, they just float along in life and they look at everybody that's having struggles and they say, oh, I found this way. Okay, yeah, I'll, uh, yeah. Uh, wait, I want, I want to see you when life really gets tough, okay? Because we all, we all have those, those issues. We all have those times. It may not be devastating to everybody, but we all battle, I believe, we all battle with anxiety and worry at some point in our life. For some people, it's much worse than others. For some people, as I said earlier, it is debilitating. It keeps them from, uh, I've, uh, you know, you, you follow your friends or you talk with your friends and you talk with them on Facebook during, this, during the shutdown, and there were people literally that would not leave home, would not leave their house. They had their groceries delivered to the house because they were so worried about it. And I, and I, understand, I, I understand where people are coming from, uh, but when it becomes debilitating, you've got a real issue. While anxiety and worry can have detrimental effects on our health, effects such as a mental, self, a mental sense of impending doom, panic attacks, depression, headaches, irritability, a pounding heart and high blood pressure, breathing difficulties, upset stomach and muscular aches and pains. What we're gonna be focusing on this morning is not the physical aspects and the physical issues with anxiety. We're gonna be looking at the devastating effects of anxiety on your personal walk with Jesus. The devastating effects of anxiety on your personal walk with Jesus and the powerful positive effects of God's peace on that same walk. See, the, the armadillo chooses, right? The armadillo chooses to, to ignore everything at its disposal and put itself in a position to where it's killed, to where it dies on the road. It's not like there's not, there's not insects out in nature that it can go after. It can go, it's been, it's been given the long claws and the snout so it can dig up anything it wants. But it chooses the easy way out and goes on a road and finds things that have already been killed for it and, and doesn't pay attention to the danger and its life ends. And I believe just like that armadillo, we as Christians choose to have those devastating effects of worry and anxiety in our lives. Just like the armadillo chooses to ignore its God-given blessings to avoid danger and even death, Many times in life, followers of Jesus choose to ignore God's blessings and mental peace and stability and choose worry instead. There was a, a, a hymn that we used to sing way back when I was a kid in church and then when I was in Christian school, why worry when you can pray? 
Trust Jesus, he is the way. Don't be a doubting Thomas. Rest sure upon his promise. Why worry, 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 worry when you can pray. Got the clap in there, right? And that's a, that's a, a, a bumper sticker you can buy it in Christians, Christ, uh, Christian bookstores. Why worry when you can pray? But we turn it around as Christians and we say, why pray when you can worry, right? It becomes a hobby for many people. It just becomes a way of life to where people worry more than they pray. And they spend more time considering the lack of anything or the lack of blessing or this or that and what they can and can't do about it and how much trouble it's going to be and the impending doom of life instead of praying and asking God for his blessings and his intervention in our lives. We are being bombarded by bad news, by tragedies, by anger, by division, uncertainty and fear. If there's ever been a time in recorded history where worry and anxiety would be understandable and acceptable to our circumstances, it would be this present time. That's just being honest. It's not my intention to minimize, to demean or make light of the current situation of the world. But rather, it is my intention to provide you with a biblical response and some principles from God's word with which to face them and deal with your anxious thoughts and moments. We are living in a time, I don't have to tell you this, but let's acknowledge it. Because the Bible doesn't say ignore what's going on in the world. The Bible says to live in the world, but not be of the world not get tied up with the struggles of the world. Not let what's going on in the world destroy your walk with Jesus Christ, yet that's exactly what's happening. Listen, I have... I'm, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say, I don't have any hope for our country. I'm just being honest. I don't have any hope for America. I, I think that this... What happened Friday night, the death of... Uh, Mrs. Ginsburg, Justice Ginsburg, uh, just, just exacerbates the situation we're in. When I start reading people saying, certain people better not do this or we're going to burn the country down. Listen, <laughs> that, that takes hope away. I, I believe we're in the last days. You may not like everything. Listen, I don't like everything, man. I don't like the fact that Major League Baseball has this stupid best of three series at the beginning of the playoffs, right? The Dodgers are the best team in baseball right now and could get knocked out in a two, or th two out of three series easy. I'm not happy about it. That's kind of a, that was a funny way of getting, breaking the tension, okay? Come on, laugh with me. Uh, or if you can't laugh with me, laugh at Brian because he's wearing a Seahawks shirt. <laughs> All right? Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> but, but we don't have to like everything. But this country, I fear, this country has had a tradition every election for the president of a peaceful transfer of power. I don't see it happening. I don't. I don't see it happening. And that is, that is a result of the sin of humanity, and that is a result, I believe, of God's judgment on the earth and God's warning to us of the end times and the, the soon coming, the soon return of Jesus Christ in the rapture for his church. 
That can overwhelm people. That can give you word, that can cause you to worry, that can give you anxiety, that can take you down, that can cause you all kinds of struggles nowadays. It truly can, and I understand that. But Jesus said, do not fear. I have overcome the world. I have a plan. I have a purpose. But they're taking my rights away. It doesn't matter anymore, does it? It doesn't matter anymore. Things are going to happen that are going to happen. And you can stand for them and you can do this and that. But when the church and when Christians get so distracted from the mission of the church by politics and political issues and what's going on in the country, we lose our focus and anxiety and worry come in and take away our passion for Jesus and distract our passion to something else. And the kingdom of God, not the work of the king, not the kingdom of God, the work of the kingdom of God suffers. Because there are people in this world that need to hear Jesus, about Jesus. They need to hear about salvation. They don't need to hear your political opinion. Nowadays, it's a dangerous thing. I'm, and I'm not, you know, we used to joke about it. I used to remember uh, there, there were certain pastors when we were younger you would say, when I mention his name, I either need a pucker or duck because some people love you and love him and some people hate him, so you don't know what response. And nowadays, I keep my political, I don't get into political discussions because I don't want, I literally do not want a confrontation because that's where it is nowadays. I'd rather, I'm so glad sports came back because it gives me something else to talk about, man. Christians, here's, here's my, let me, just, let me just say this, go off script for a second. I, this is my take on all of this. I was raised in the church. I was raised by a man and a woman who uh, had us in church all the time, my sister Donna, will, and, and the churches we were in, and my father, when we'd have discussions, and my mom, it would always ta be talking about looking forward to the return of Jesus Christ as a great time as a great day. And we knew, we were taught that these kind of times were coming. We were taught that this isn't a surprise. If you, if you were, if you, like I said, I, I, I talked to a lot of people, a lot of Christians have called me names because I believe we're living in the end times. Oh, you could twist scripture to say whatever you want. <laughs> I'm not twisting scripture. I'm looking at what's going on in the world right now. I was, seriously, I think Portugal is, get, is getting ready to get hit with a hurricane. I mean, when does that happen? There's another hurricane going up into Canada this week. Come on, while there's a hurricane hitting Texas again that's going to stick around for several days and give them 20 more inches of rain. And that's just the weather. California's burning down for crying out loud. And that's just the weather all at the same time. I see these as exciting times. Not that I'm, not that I'm happy about that negative, negative things happening. I'm not happy about uh, loss of property and, and, and God forbid, loss of life. That's not what I have. But as, my, as a Christian, a man of faith in Jesus Christ and who believes the literal word of God, these are exciting times. Because this is the time I believe with all my heart that we need to be looking up and not looking out. Because Jesus, I believe, when I was on my prayer drive last night, I said, Lord, I believe you're coming back soon. I can't define soon. Soon for me is, you know, 
I'm gonna have, I'm, I'm gonna order from Ramon's, Ramon Franco, the gentleman that's in our church, just opened up a new pizza, pizzeria. And we walked in Friday, and me and the boys, we went there for lunch, and he wasn't quite open, but he had made a pizza. I'm having pizza for lunch from Ramon's local, local pizzeria. It, it's, uh, wow, it's good stuff, it's good stuff. So we've got like the spectrum of life covered now. We've got a local pizzeria, Mezzaluna, on Plumtree Road, and then we've got like the man that's cooking for the marriage supper of the lamb in heaven, <laughs> Drew, Drew Brow, or Highbrow, uh, shameless plugs right there. But um, no wonder I'm fat. Jeez, I, I, it just hit me. After 57 years, it just hit me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but I look at these times as exciting times, man. They're exciting times. Yes, they're, yes, they're difficult. Yes, they're hard. Yes, there are things going on that we'd rather not see, and it's a tough slog every day. But what an exciting time to live, to see the scriptures come alive, to see prophecy fulfilled in our lifetime, in this moment. So, Christian, I'm here to tell you this morning, have hope in Jesus Christ. It's not right for you to worry. It's not necessary, and it's not natural as a follower of Jesus to have anxiety that overwhelms you. Let's take a look at both sides of the Christian's anxious armadillo mentality, shall we? The first side we're going to look at is the anxiety side of it. Anxiety, the first thing anxiety does to you, or one of the things, we're going to look at three of them. One of the things anxiety does to you is that it paralyzes you. Anxiety paralyzes. It paralyzes you and it paralyzes your faith. When you are anxious, when you're worried, you have, you have been paralyzed in your ability to move forward and to do something powerful for Jesus Christ. Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, said this, Anxiety does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows, but only empties today of its strength. Sorry, guys, I skipped a whole bunch of uh, quotes there, a whole bunch of uh, things. Sorry about that. <laughs> I make the PowerPoint and I skipped like, Seven slides. I just realized that. That's all right. Anxiety makes life a heavy burden to carry. Anxiety makes life a heavy burden to carry. It really does. Proverbs 12, 25, the first part says, anxiety in a person's heart weighs it down. Anxiety in a person's heart weighs it down. This is where the spiritual and the physical come together to affect your life. Because the physical and anxiety, anxiety and worry have definite physical effects on your body. And that makes you feel bad. This morning I woke up and because of my, um, all, the, all the hardware I have in my, my leg, uh, it's, it's kind of deteriorating, and the muscles and things. And, and I take um, a leave and to um, arthritis strength Tylenol in the morning. And it's the combination, the cocktail, the combination is a strong painkiller without the opioid side effects. My doctor told me about it. So I take that every morning. I woke up this morning, I went to the cabinet to get my, my uh, Aleve and I realized I am out, out of it, out of Aleve and out of Tylenol. And I said, oh, this is gonna be tough because I coached a game yesterday and 
and being on it for two hours and walking on the ground, the hard ground and the uneven ground does things to it. So I needed it. And uh, fortunately, my wonderful, blessed wife went to the store and, and got me what I needed. But that physical pain affected my mentality. And I had to work hard to remember, hey, John, you've got to get up. You've got to preach twice this morning. And you've got a church to minister to. You've got, you've got a, you're, you're a part of a body, and you've got to do your part this morning. So you better get over that physical pain and not let it wear you down and do your job, to quote an unnamed football coach. <laughs> Voldemort, coach of the Patriots. <laughs> Anxiety replaces our prayer life because we are so weak from worry. Anxiety replaces our prayer life. We worry so much that we become weak in our faith and in our walk from worrying that we don't take time to pray. In fact, in Romans 8, 26, Paul writes to us, in the same way the Spirit also helps in our weakness because we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings. Those are those times when you were just so worn out and you finally come to yourself and you say, God, help me. Dear God, I don't know what to do. I am so, I, this, I'm just so broken over this. I'm just so worn out. This, I, just, I just can't face this. I can't handle this. I believe those are the times when you are incredibly weak and you're at the bottom of your barrel, so to speak, when you just cry out to God that the Holy Spirit takes over because God knows what you need in that moment. And in your weakness, he becomes strong. Second thing anxiety does is it provokes. Anxiety provokes. It provokes negative feelings and reactions about life. Anxiety provokes negative feelings and actions about life. George Mueller said the beginning of anxiety is the end of faith. And the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. The beginning of anxiety is the end of faith, and the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. And I know we talk about Job as a great man of God, a great man of faith, a man who lost everything in just a matter of minutes, and yet still did not curse God. But don't think that Job didn't have his weak moments. Don't think that Job just faced life and said, oh, well, you know, we, we quote the verse, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And we sing that song. The reason that song means so much, that, that's like my favorite worship song, favorite among favorites, is because I've been there. I've been when, when it's been taken away. And I've been there when God gives back in blessing. So that song is not just a great little ditty with a fun tune to sing and clap my hands to. That song means something to me in my faith because God is faithful and true. And he has shown me in my life that yes, I may lose, but if I follow him and stay with him, he will always bless me beyond what I had before. And Job had weak moments, but he never turned his back on God. In fact, in Job chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, it says, After this, Job began to speak and cursed the day he was born. 
He said, may the day I was born perish in the night that said a boy is conceived. If only that day had turned to darkness. May God above not care about it or light shine on it. Whew. That's a deep place. That's a deep place of despair. And yet Job knew that God was the solution to his issue. God was the solution. And that, yes, if God did allow things to be taken away at such an amazing pace and at such a deep level, God was going to bless him in a greater measure if he would stay faithful. See, Christian, anxiety will provoke negative feelings and a negative reaction about the situation you're in. The key is not to let anxiety and worry win. The fact of the matter is you're going to face these issues in life. It's going to come upon you. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hands, but how many of your household budgets have taken a huge hit over the last nine months, seven or eight months? No doubt about it, man. And that starts to bring the worry process. Listen, you may not have suffered a loss of income, but have you been to the grocery store lately? I don't see many of those buy one, get two free sales at Big Y anymore. I don't see an overabundance of milk at $1.97 a gallon like I used to. In fact, it's more like $4.29. So when these times come on, they're going to come into your life. But just like the armadillo, you have a choice. You can choose to sit there and wallow in the roadkill and not pay attention to what's going on around you and get hit and, and, and run over when, and get when, when something comes along and surprises you and hits you and runs you over. Or you can choose to be vigilant and understand and accept what's coming on because you know that God has a plan for your prosperity and God has a plan to get you through it. The third thing I see that anxiety does is anxiety perplexes. Anxiety perplexes. Whenever a man allows himself to hang, have anxieties, fears, or complaints, he must consider his behavior as either a denial of the wisdom of God or as a confession that he is out of his will. William's Law said that. Psalm 42, verse 5 says, Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. Read through the Psalms. You know why the Psalms are so encouraging to us? Because many of them are written from the depths of a heart of despair by a man named David, who was called a man after God's own heart. That's the, that's the great... Uh, the, the great dichotomy of this whole thought, David, called a man after God's own heart, struggled with anxiety. Oh, how do you know that? <laughs> Read the Psalms, man. The most powerful Psalms that David wrote are the ones that talk about the, 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 the way God was with him in the low parts of his life. When when Saul was chasing him and, and trying to kill him, when his son rebelled and tried to take the kingdom away. Psalm 51, David's great psalm of repentance for his unbelievable sin with Bathsheba. 
and murdering her husband. David writes from a heart of deep, deep anxiety. And the one thing, the one thing David doesn't do is tell us to give up on God. He says, these times are going to come. These struggles are going to come. You're going to see darkness in your life. You're going to have difficult times. But hope in God. Hope in God. Because he has a way out for you. If all you do is wallow in the misery and you worry and you let anxiety take over, it's just going to draw. Why do you think 34% of the people that went to church before this pandemic have stopped going to church? Because they've spent time worrying about what's going on. And they've spent so much time out of church and making excuses for not being in church. Yes, I'm speaking to those of you on Facebook. You can hear this. Some of you are, here, are not here because you can't be. I understand that. But if you've walked away from church, I'm speaking to you. You've spent so much time worrying about what's going on that you forgot that you serve the God of heaven. And he's in control. And it does, you don't have to, you don't have to go back to the same way. I mean, we'd be fools to go back to the same way life was before all this right now, right? It, this, is a, this is a serious disease. I get that. But it doesn't have to paralyze you to the point that you don't do anything for the kingdom of God. And you allow it to overwhelm you so much that you walk away from your, I haven't walked away from my faith. Well, where are you then? Okay. You haven't walked away, but where are you? How much serving God have you done in the last seven months? How many people have you shared your faith with? How much have you grown in your faith in these last seven months? Or have you sat there and worried and worried and became anxious and become negative and said, I don't need the church, I just need to be safe? God doesn't want us to be anxious and suffer the effects of anxiety. Therefore, he's offered to us a gift. A gift for life that helps us deal with the anxiety in our lives. Let me say this. There's no magic bullet for dealing with anxiety. Your doctor can prescribe you all the pills he wants, and all that's going to do is mask the symptoms. There's no vaccine that we can get that will take anxiety in our lives away. But if we use this gift as a tool in our lives to attack our struggles with anxiety, he promises that he will replace our struggles with power and ability to live above the issues of anxiety. The other, issue, the other side of anxiety that we can choose is peace. You can choose peace. <laughs> Billy Graham said, memorizing the Bible is important. Thinking God's thoughts will take the place of worried, anxious concerns. Philippians 4, <clears throat> excuse me, verses 6 and 7. Say, don't worry about every, anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God that goes beyond all understanding. How a man like Job could go through what he went through and still praise God for many people is not understandable. But he did 
because of the power of God. Isaiah 41.10 says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. And what does Jesus tell us in John 10.28-30? through 30? He says, I, You are in my hand, and I am in the Father's hand, and no one can take you out of the hand of God. And here in Isaiah, God says, I hold on to you with my right hand. Man, that's a double promise. That's scripture validating scripture. That's saying there's no way that you can slip out of the hand of God. He's got you. And when you're there, he promises you peace. Why? Why does he promise you peace? The first reason is this. Peace perfects. Peace perfects. And in that sense, we mean peace completes. As a Christian, peace completes you. God offers you peace as his child. The ability to add to your faith the action of belief. You can say you're a Christian all day, but do you prove it by believing the promises of God? Big difference. You may have put your faith in Jesus for salvation, but do you live it every day by believing the promises of God? God offers the gift of peace if you will take your belief and put it in him. Put action to your faith. And you accept God's, the, the complete acceptance of God's promise to oversee your safety and provision for life provides an unmistakable and ununderstandable peace that satisfies your soul. When you complete your faith by truly believing, you understand what I'm saying? When you truly, when you, let me explain it this way, and I'll use this because it's so, so prescient right now for us. You can either put your faith in the political system of America to solve the problems as a Christian, or you could put your faith in the plan of God and believe that God does have a plan and God does have a purpose, and no matter what happens, God promises you what we just read. You're in his hand, and you can't get out of his hand. And he's promised you, listen, we're going to read some verses that'll tell you what God will do for you. There's no condition on these promises are only valid if Joe Biden wins the election. These promises are only valid if Donald Trump wins the election. It's not there. These promises of God go beyond political systems. These promises of God go beyond earthly government. These are promises from the creator of all things. And he says, I will take care of you if you will put belief to your faith. And I know that sounds kind of crazy because isn't faith belief? Faith is a step in belief. Putting your faith in Jesus for salvation is the first step. Now you have to believe the promises of God every day to activate that faith and to receive the blessings of God in your life, to receive his covering in your life so that you can operate as an agent of heaven in enemy territory working for the kingdom of God. Peace perfects. Job 14, verses 1, uh, I'm sorry, John 14, verses 1 through 3. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. 
that I, if it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? I memorized this as a kid in the King James. So when I start reading a verse that I know, I start quoting the King James, and then I look and say, oh, you're reading it wrong, because <laughs> what's up on the screen is not what I was reading. Just a little, little vision into the mind of a crazy person. <sighs> if I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, so that where I am, you may be also. Jesus said, listen, the time is coming where I'm coming to take you back. You're mine. You're mine. You're mine. Every night, you could ask Gabriel and Michael, every night we pray. And Aaron prays, and then she'll go to bed, and then I'll tuck the boys in, and I'll pray with them. And I tell them every night, I'll never leave you. It's a little game. I'll never leave you. Uh, last night, I think it was, I'll never leave you. Michael was... I'll never leave you at second base. I think that was it. I'll never leave you at second base. And Michael, I think Michael responded with, I'll never leave you in right field. Right? Yeah. And, uh, and the, we end it with, I'll never leave you anywhere because you're my beautiful, beautiful boy. Man. That's me quoting a promise of God to my my two youngest sons. God will never leave me anywhere. He'll not leave me at second base. He'll not leave me in the parking lot. He'll not leave me in right field. He's got me everywhere, and he's never going to let me go. That's a promise from him. So why do I need to worry about what's going on in the world when I know that he's got me? Or I can believe that he's got me. Psalm 56, verses 3 and 4 says, When I am afraid, I will trust in you, in God, whose word I praise, in God I trust. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? <clears throat> 2 Timothy 1, 7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. The second thing peace does is peace praises. Peace Praises. Peace praises God for his love and grace. Peace from God praises him for his love and grace. In the middle of struggle, in the middle of difficulty, the peace that God gives to us praises him because of that peace, praises him because of his provision, praises him because of all the things he does for us, the protection he gives us, the way he watches over us Every day, God brings, God's peace brings with it the reminder to his child of his amazing goodness and grace and motivates us to praise him for his covering and blessings. The reckless love of God. Phenomenal job this morning, worship team. Phenomenal job. All three songs just fed right into where God wanted to take us this morning. Romans 8, 38 and 39, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Man, that's a reason to praise God. It doesn't matter what happens. He's got us. He's got us, no matter what happens. And we put that together with John 10, or the, the John passage we just read. <laughs> Where Jesus says, I'm going away to prepare a place for you, and I'm going to come back and bring you with me. He's got us for eternity if we're his child, if we've accepted him as our Savior. Isaiah 35, 4, say to the cowardly, be, this is, man, this is a verse 
a, a verse about prophecy, about the response of a child of God during the troubled times in the end. That's what this verse is about. Isaiah 35, 4, say to the cowardly, be strong, do not fear, here is your God. Vengeance is coming. God's retribution is coming. He will save you. Oh, man. What you think about that, Christian? Struggles are coming, but God will save you. Believe it. Book it. And the last thing that peace does is peace pauses. Peace pauses. Peace pauses the panic. Peace pauses the panic in your life. If you will trust God, if you will believe that he truly is and is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, peace will pause your panic. I'm not saying you're not going to start worrying. I'm not saying you're not going to get to those places where you struggle. But I'm saying when you cry out to God and give your worry and anxiety to him, he will pause the panic in your life. The peace that God offers his child stops anxiety and worry in its tracks and will keep it away as long as he continues to believe, trust, and obey. I put in my notes, see Peter when he walked on water. Peter got out of the boat. Great faith, right? Great faith. He's walking on water, looking at Jesus, takes his eyes off Jesus, sinks. Jesus pulls him back up. And something I never saw, never thought about until our assistant pastor preached about it a few months back. Then Peter and Jesus walked back to the boat. So Peter panicked. Jesus picked him up, restored his faith, and Peter's belief was back. And he walked with Jesus back to the boat. You see, there's not a promise that you're not going to be human and fall into struggles. But the promise is, when you get to that point where you realize that God is your source and Jesus is your answer and you lean on your faith, he will give you the peace that you need. And that peace will pause your panic. Psalm 94, verse 19, says, When I am filled with care, with cares, your comfort brings me joy. Psalm 34, 4, I sought the Lord, and he answered me and rescued me from all my fears. Matthew 6, verses 25 and 26, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Do you believe that? Do you believe God cares more about you than the birds? And he cares about them. He gave them the instinct to fly away from New England. We stay here in the winter. <laughs> Seriously, man. We stay here in the winter. How, <laughs> go ahead and call somebody a bird brain again while they're basking in Florida. You know, we're sitting up here in the freezing cold and birds are down there enjoying second summer. Was gonna, I'd call it Indian summer, but maybe not. <laughs> Uh. Psalm 55, 22. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. Never. If you cast your burden on the Lord. The bottom line is this. You choose anxiety, you choose worry, and you choose all that goes with it, but you don't have to. 
God has devised a strategy and given you a plan that if followed, not only gives you everything you need to deal with your anxiety and worry in a positive and beneficial way for your faith, but also helps you to grow stronger in that faith as a follower of Jesus. And that too is your choice. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here in your house today on such a beautiful uh, autumn day here in New England. Lord, we thank you that in the middle of all the craziness, we still have the privilege and the honor to come together and worship you. Father, I thank you for the amazing music we listen to to prepare our hearts and get us, bring us to the place where we were ready to hear your word. And I thank you for the truth of this word. God, I know that so many of us are, are overwhelmed with worry and anxiety right now, but God, we don't have to be. Lord, I pray that you'll speak peace to your children and cause us to lift our eyes to the hills where our help comes from. Lord, may we lift our eyes to you. And that one that is just about ready to give up, God, may they look to you and say, please, God, help me. Lord, would you give us the, the courage to deal with our anxiety? Would you give us the strength to deal with our worry your way? And would you bring peace to our lives, Father? Thank you for all that you've done for us and all you've given to us today. In your precious name, we pray and ask all these things. Amen. Thank you.